In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Alan Fadden. Hello, Carla. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic today. How are you, my friend? Couldn't be better. (laughs) I'm pretty excited about today's podcast because... We're going to be talking about a book. We've got this series coming up. We're identifying all these great books that we've read over the years and really overlaying what was awesome about them and then potentially what was missing so that uh, we can help others and assist others and how to overcome those bottlenecks associated with a lot of times the business books that we read. They tend to be a a little bit big picture. So it's not that it's not correct and great information. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And the book that we've decided to talk about is Good to Great, a book by Jim Collins. And he talks about why some companies make the leap and others don't. So it's a management book that describes how companies transition from being good companies to great companies, and then how most companies fail to make that transition. And then he goes in and identifies companies that he believes are good companies and great companies. And uh, what kind of brought this up is we found this really great article about what happened with these companies. So, uh, and I also want to add in the book did sell over 4 million copies. So that's pretty, pretty incredible. And he identified identified 11 companies And out of those 11 companies, two beat the average S&P by five points or more. Two were slightly better than the S&P. I think it was like two points. Four were equal to the S&P. And three of them completely failed and went belly up. So not terribly good (laughs) stats there, right? Especially three out of 11 completely failing. Um, And we'll make sure we include that uh, link to that article in the in the podcast because I think it's fantastic too and it actually looks at two other books that we're planning on uh, discussing on the podcast as well and so within the book good to great he talks about seven characteristics of companies that did go from good to great and I'll lay out the seven for the purpose of today's podcast we're going to talk about three of them uh, first is level five leadership uh, and leaders who are humble right um, but driven to do what's best for the company. First who, then what, confronting the brutal facts, the hedgehog concept, culture of discipline, technology accelerators, and the flywheel, which is um, the additive effect of small initiatives. And for the purpose of today's podcast, we're going to be pulling out the first who, then what, the hedgehog concept, and then the culture of discipline. So with that said, since you did your TEDx talk on this, um, Alan, I'll let you go ahead into the first characteristic, which is the first who, then what, and why it, you know, didn't necessarily go far enough. Yeah, exactly. He used this great metaphor about the bus. People always uh, uh, started, led with their strategy, where the bus is going. And what he says, no, don't do that. It's much more important to know who is on the bus. And not only who is on the bus, but who is in what seat on the bus. And uh, so that was was a big distinction. Probably one of the most uh, quoted things uh, about Mm -hmm. the book. I agree. The book, but, and that's yours. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 
And then do you want to share a little bit about uh, the the pitfall with that as well? The pitfall of, yes, it is who's on the bus, uh, what seat, and then where the bus is going. But the challenge is how do you figure out your who? Exactly. And uh, and what he didn't do is really tell you how tell you how to do that. <clears throat> and uh, and missed a major, major distinction. And that is that uh, that people have different different abilities and they're, they're much more powerful and productive during certain phases of the project. And he didn't go into any of that. So you sort of left left there hanging. Well, gosh, how do we do this? Yeah, what seat and did they sit out, in? It wasn't enough just to <laughs> just to uh, say who's on the bus. Yes, although the I think the the great part about that is the fact that people are more important than strategy. I think that's definitely something over the last fifteen to twenty years that has revolutionized cultures and businesses valuing people instead of you know valuing outcomes. And so I think, or even strategy, right? Both inputs, outputs, strategy you know, in the outcome, but saying your people are super important. And that's the way that you're going to get to being great is by valuing the who. And so, so, so there, and, and, and we'll get into a little bit more about what we can do to solve the problem, but we really want to lay out what was great about the book and then what's missing with adopting that. Maybe it's too, like, for instance, I agree with what he's saying there. It's just too general. How do you get to the nitty gritty of it, right? So you can identify and say that this is, you need to do this, who, then what seat, and then where you're going. But how do you, how do you make that happen, right? The the idea is fantastic, but then you get into implementing it and you're like, well, who should sit where on the bus? (laughs) Do we just, and what we typically do is just chuck everybody on the bus, (laughs) So you might have all great who's, but if the who's aren't working together, it's just not going to work. And so, uh, so that's the first thing. And then the next thing we want to talk about a little bit is the hedgehog concept. So if you look in the book, this identifies three different areas and, and it's the center of the, these three areas, which is what is your passion? Uh, what drives your economic engine and what you can be best in the world at, which I agree with all those, Alan, but if you've got a little bit of input on, there's a big challenge associated with that. And you actually, even if you identified all of that, it it comes back to the who, right? Like me as an individual, I can say I'm passionate about something, but that doesn't necessarily mean I can get it done by myself. I, and I'm going to tell you, if you try to do it by yourself, that's 1% of the population. It's not going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Miserable. Mm-hmm. And so I agree. And I think everybody can agree. What is your passion? And you need to identify that. But at the end of the day, if you don't have four core natures of work, both in the ideation implementation stage, it's like pushing a parked car. You're so frustrated. You're wondering why you're not getting it done. You're beating yourself up. And that's all the way from a solopreneur to a manager, right? That's responsible for whatever the project ends up being. And so understanding that it's like, okay, we all agree. Do what you're passionate about. And then what? Right. (laughs) And then also what drives your economic engine? Now, I think that one's actually pretty, pretty um, stable. And now the thing is, there's different models. Okay. What is that model? We can go and talk about that for 
forever and ever and ever because driving driving the economic engine at the end of the day is the process. And I think that's what they forget. That's that halo effect he talks about in the book, which they think that the success actually is the economic engine. So let me give you an example. And you can look up the halo effect. McKinsey did a really good study on it, which basically says when you're doing well, they, that people just assume that you've got a great strategy and great leadership and all these things. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's happened because, uh, and they lay out an example, which is Cisco. So Cisco in the tech boom, uh, before the tech boom, oh, they're the great, greatest thing since sliced bread, tech boom hits, then they drop and, the, and they, they think because their valuation, because their revenues and all their financial piece went down that now all of a sudden it's a crappy company, their culture stinks, and they have no strategy. Well, now look at them. They, they, they adjusted, innovated, and now they're you know, one of the great tech giants today. And so that halo effect, I think, is the biggest thing to pay attention when you're reading good to great about driving economic engine. Uh, and it's your people that drive economic engine, not necessarily just your economic status. Um, and if you'd like to say anything about that too, Alan. No, go ahead. All right. And then what can you be best in the world at? You can take that one on because again, what can, who be best in the world at? Like if you're a solopreneur, it's what can I lead, right? And be best in the world at. But for a company, I think that is so general that it would be extremely hard if you don't know who's on your team. Well, exactly. And being best at the world uh, at something uh, assumes starting, middle and finish. And uh, it requires different people for each of those. So again, it's on a 50,000 foot level. And what we're really talking about is, 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 you know, general principles of strategy and general principles of leadership and management. And there's an elephant in the room. <laughs> and we all know it. It's why we become skeptics over time and reading these business books that we agree with. But nobody's saying it's not correct. I, it's just that they don't take it far enough because at the end of the day, you look in the mirror and you go, well, what do I do next? Right. And it's like, okay, well, I agree with it. Well, now let's implement it. And that comes back to 90% of CEOs are fired because they can't get an idea implemented. Right. The best idea in the world. But if you don't know who's on your team, how would you even be able to shift? And we'll talk a little bit in a, in a, in a moment about the ideation and the implementation and the, and how those two really um, contradict each other and how one of the seven principles completely contradicts it specifically to that. So, you know, and, and I think, again, we already talked about first two, then what, it just didn't go far enough. How do you know you're who you're dumping everybody on the bus and then saying, let's go. But at the end of the day, you, it's, it, the idea is great, but then what do you do? Right. Yeah. And um, I think here's a key key issue and that is that part of the orthodoxy of management uh, rests on this assumption. Everybody in the room is doing everything together all the time. Mm -hmm. Those are called meetings. And so what happens is that no attention is paid to the actual fit and sequence, the fit between the people and the sequence at which they, their, their uh, talents and their core natures emerge during these phases of the work that's missing in most of these management books and, and uh, is uh, an answer to who's in what seat on the bus. But mm -hmm. it goes deeper than that. Well, and I think that 
honestly, and the answer to all of it, it's fit and sequence, right? So, so you, and we've identified with that with the first two, then what? Then we talked about the hedgehog concept on the generalness of what that is. And here's the funny thing. You look at a company and I was just looking at, you know, the questions, all those three questions with the hedgehog concept. What's your passion? Well, guess what? Everybody's passion is different. And what if you're leading a company with 10,000 people? <laughs> it's not about, it's about what passion, what are you passionate about? What part of the work are you passionate about? Like, what right. are you really great at is a better question than what's your passion, right? right. Give you an example. Uh, uh, I've worked with uh, some baseball teams and I love baseball. I'm passionate about baseball, but put me in the accounting department. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> You're out of business in two weeks. And I'm yeah. miserable too. Yeah, yeah. It's because, okay, we've got a seat available. There you go. I remember training a company. Actually, you were there. And I don't know if you remember this or not. It was a gentleman in the room. And he had just moved to the area that we were in. And, and he was in R&D. And he did very specific kind of engineering type stuff. And I was like, oh, we asked the question. So why are you here? Well, they had an opening in sales. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, that's going to go well. <laughs> I just laughed. It's like, okay, there's an opening. You've got a degree. Let's slide you on in there. So, uh, and, then, and then now we're going to move on to this culture of discipline. I just love this one, right? Mm -hmm. is, and it's essentially the culture of discipline that they talk about in Good to Great is combining that culture of discipline with the ethic of entrepreneurship. I mean, can you get anywhere <laughs> contradicting yeah. than that? That's like an oxymoron, you know, military intelligence. Yeah, there you go. It, it, it almost completely one side speaks to the early adopters, right? Which is the ethic of entrepreneurship. Because as, on, as an entrepreneur and focusing as an entrepreneur, and actually, if you look at it, most entrepreneurs are movers or shakers, like a vast majority. And some of them have the prover, you know, a, a, a shaker prover, um, sometimes a prover shaker. However, I would venture to say there's very few makers and way more movers and shakers um, that you know we've had assessed. And so the ethic of entrepreneurship is by definition going to have a lot of change associated with it. And then you've got the culture of discipline, which is to do the same thing over and over every day and be happy with that, which there's your later adopters. That's going to be your provers and shakers that are okay with that because they like they they don't mind repetition nearly as much, especially the makers. And that kind of reminds me, Alan, of uh, the quote we use all the time, which is uh, Warren Buffett's, I hate innovation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is the, is he the, the, like the most successful investor ever or something? I mean, he's way up uh, there. Certainly, but, certainly one of them. And, and yeah. he hates it because a company has to get to the repetition. So, okay. you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, the story of, of GM, Alan. Yes. So, and this is a and, and this is a problem of the uh, of combining the culture of discipline and the ethic of entrepreneurship. You know, not only in meetings will people eat each other alive, but on a more uh, specific way, it encourages conversations like this. Uh, General Motors actually invented the minivan, although Chrysler. Uh, through Lee Iacocca introduced it and made all the money from it uh, because GM wouldn't do it. They killed the minivan. And why? Because they said the minivan will completely destroy our station wagon business. <laughs> so there they you go. Right. You got it. It did. 
only only Chrysler got all the money from the minivan yep. and uh, and uh, destroyed their station wagon business anyway. And that almost like I got a visual when you were saying that of the innovation of the creation of the minivan, but then the implementation piece they didn't do because it's like, oh, you're going to mess up our sales with the station wagon, right? And so what ends up happening is the idea gets killed because those to juxtapose each other. They're completely contradictory. So you have to figure out how to get them to work together, um, not separately. But, you know, that's a really funny one. But Kodak really, really, I mean, GM at least is still around. Kodak really messed up. Oh, yeah. Well, Kodak, uh, 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 I know some of their people who were in R&D, and they actually invented the digital camera. And that's the same thing. This is going to ruin our film business. Look at the investment we've got yeah, in. Yeah, look at the film business. Film content in film. Yeah. Well, you know, we can't we can't do this. And so, of course, somebody else did it, and uh, Kodak uh, went under in uh, 2013. Yep. And there you go. The contradiction of them creating the digital camera, incredible innovation. And that must have cost them a whole bunch of money to invest in R&D, geez Louise. So you get to that point of creating this new innovation and then, oh, wait a second, you're, we're going to kill our own business. That is really <laughs> interesting. It, it's so true, right? It's like, and it's so blindingly obvious. And I think it's little things like that. And we're going to talk about how to solve and fix this because there is, I agree, that you need to combine a culture of discipline with an ethic of entrepreneurship, but not with everybody in the room at every point of every piece of work that they need to do. And that's what we do. We don't separate it and individualize, you know, who's your movers, who's your shakers, who's your provers, who are your makers, what part of the work are you going to do well and how you can utilize uh, the relay team aspect of it where it's a handoff and it's a handoff in two different areas, which is the ideation and implementation. So, Alan, do you want to talk a little bit about, about that with the projects and, and, and having the right people in the right place at the right time, doing the right yeah. thing? So, so the answer to everybody in the room all the time doing the same thing, and that's where the, the uh, culture of discipline and the ethic of entrepreneurship, uh, one will eventually devour the other, and you, and you don't have that combination that Collins calls for. Instead, what if you put the right people in the right place at the right time doing the right thing? In other words, it's a handoff. A, uh, a mediocre relay team will beat the world record for the 400 meter individual dash by two to four to six seconds. So uh, what we're talking about here is simply getting the right people in the room at the right phase beginning, middle, end. So you get the people in the, the early adopters, the movers and the shakers in for the beginning. They come up with the ideas and select the right one, take the idea to the prover who's going to tell you everything that can go wrong and go then go back to the mover and shaker and fix all the flaws and then get it back to the prover who ultimately hands it off. That's the ending, hands it off to the maker to get a replicable pattern which you can make money at Warren Buffett's uh, desire. Yeah. And, and I think you, and you nailed the head on the big picture there, which is first going through the ideation. What are we going to do? Get all the flaws out. And then the shifting gears, right. To yes. the, to the 
uh, culture of discipline. Now, now we got to implement command and control. And of course, this is built on 110 years of research, the law of diffusion of innovations. And we only talk about it when it comes to customers. I don't understand why they just completely jump over the team and forget about the same law that we use to communicate, connect, work with our customers. Why wouldn't you do it with your team first? And then, then moving to the implementation, which when that command and control, and then we call it leadership. Well, everybody's a leader. We just lead at different times. And, and you have to shift that gear in implementation stage, it doesn't matter what your title is, right? It's your function, the CEO. That's when things get blown up, right? The CEO walks in and says, no, do that. And, and instead of giving the, the authority and allowing your team to lead at the point at which they're going to lead best, because I'm going to tell you right now, a maker will lead best at eating checklists for breakfast than any CEO on the planet because it's, compl- it's so vastly different the the um the passion for it right the you like doing it it doesn't bother you you it's so funny the uh, on our leadership team our maker times herself and will say and be proud of the fact of getting something done in 56 minutes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not an hour it's it 56 minutes you yeah. know what i mean yeah. and that's just that's what they're passionate about and i think really understanding those two phases understanding the big picture right? And the movers, shakers, provers, makers. And of course, we don't want to forget our oneers. We never talk about them because they're 1% of the population and there's very few. I mean, 99% of the work, right? Or 100% of the work is made for 99% of the population. And that's made for 1% of the population. 1%, that's what I mean. Yeah. 90 or yeah, 100% of the work is made for 1% of the population. Thank you. And, and what I was thinking about um, was that reminds me of the Gallup poll 70% of people hate their jobs. And that is, we talk about culture, we talk about change management, we talk about all these things, we talk about passion, we talk about, you know, all of these things. And if you just let people do what they liked, revolutionary, right? You're just removing the resistance instead of dumping everybody um, and expecting them to be the oneer and uh, be able to do all parts of the work. And so I think there's really a key point too of separating the ideation from the implementation and understand their co- you're, us- you're utilizing the core natures of work of all your people, but in each phase is different. And, and the ideation phase really lends itself to one and the implementation phase lends itself to the other. Absolutely. Uh, and it's interesting because what we're really proposing here, if you want to handle the put on this, is, is abandon function management. In other words, just because the guy from R&D now is becoming a salesperson, we don't assume that that person is the expert on selling or the high performer on selling because that's function management. Oh, you're in selling now? Oh, you must be this. Reverse that. Go the other way. New role management oh, you're great at this phase, let's put you in here. And if you get them in the right place at the right time doing the right thing, then you're talking about peak work at the top of their peak performance, handing off to the next person who's going to do the next phase at the top of their peak performance. Mm-hmm. And and go ahead and share that stat too, Alan, about when you spend your time in peak work versus week work. I know we've brought it up before, but um, I think that's really important yeah. to understand. Everybody it's, knows it's what's an, feeling in the zone. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, and it's another kind of opposite or a contradiction. You would think that uh, 
if if you had 50% of your work as your peak work and 50% as your weak, meaning your weakness work, that you'd spend 50% on each. But that's not true. You actually spend only 10% of your time approximately on the peak work because you're so good at it, you do it really fast. And then you spend 90% of your time on your weak or your weakness work because you're so slow at it. And so you're plodding and plodding. And that's what's wrong with the way that we manage people is we put them in their weaknesses and expect them to bite the bullet, take one for the team and do, do what you hate. Well, it slows them down. They're not fully present. And that's why we need role management, putting the right people in the right role, the right phase of the work, rather than all this function management. Oh, you're in, uh, you're in uh, sales, so you do all this. Because why are you in sales? Oh, because there was an opening and you hired me for it. <laughs> when you said that about week work or peak work, you know, we've been teaching this for a very long time. And when I do my week work, the first thing I do is find every excuse not to do that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then I know, give it off. Find, who are you going to hand it off to? Because if it's sitting on your checklist and you're not getting to it, most people just beat themselves up. Go find a who. Find your who to hand that off to, right? Absolutely. Everybody's got to get a who to go to. Who's your who to go to? You hand it off. (laughs) So so when you get back to Collins's ethic of entrepreneurship, that's great for the ideation phase with a small part of a culture of discipline, but only at the right time. And then the whole thing reverses. And when you get to implementation, you go for the culture of discipline. That's the major thing. But to get the implementation done, you keep having to go back to the ethic of entrepreneurship. So it's just having the right proportions. You can have both, but the key to fixing Collins's flaw is that you just can't have them both at the same time. Yeah, you brought a visual up when you just said that for me, which is ideation on the front end, suspending. 80% of your time figuring out using the method what you're going to do before taking action so you don't lose money, time, energy, momentum, all those things that we see constantly when you don't think about what could go wrong and really leverage that, what you're saying, that little bit of discipline, which comes through on the provers and running the process. And then when you shift gears to implementation, now that culture of discipline, the ethic of entrepreneurship is the uh oh, this isn't going to work. What are we going to do? Going back to your shaker, or actually, the prover goes back to the mover, the mover goes back to the shaker, and figuring out how are we going to overcome that. So it's like little bursts of the ethic of entrepreneurship within the culture of discipline is how you continue that. And you're still using ideation. It's just you're not doing the 80% of your time to solve 20% of the problem. The problems are smaller because you already figure out where you're going to go. But then all of a sudden, if you realize that, and this actually just happened on our team, we utilized a specific program, then we get into it. And all of a sudden there's a a challenge with that platform that we can't do some type of automation we want to do. So what do you do? You stop. Prover goes back to the mover. The mover goes back to the shaker that has technological, you know, uh, know how and said, how can we get around this and then run the process? But it's little bursts as you're going down implementation versus, uh, and I love that because it's what you just said 
in the ideation, you can have a, a, a little bit of the culture of discipline. And in the culture of entre- or in the implementation phase, you can have a little bit of the um, entrepreneurship. It, so it's a lot and a little on both sides that are completely different. They're completely opposite. There's a really good visual for that. I thought you were going there, but I'll bring it up. It's the uh, yin and the yang. <laughs> there you uh, go. The, Tao, yep. uh, the Tao. And, and in the large area of black, there is a small dot of white. And in the large area of white, there is a small dot of black. And that, that signifies that, that everything contains the seeds of its own opposite. Mm-hmm. So implementation contains the seeds of ideation. And ideation contains the seeds of implementation. And then how do you how do you work it? If you can visualize a like a sine curve or a wave curve, it just goes uh, ideation, ideation. And there's a little bit of it. Go to the implementers for this for finding out what's going to go wrong. And uh, so this is a dance back and forth between the two opposites. But you have to orchestrate it with the right people doing the right thing at the right time. Love it. Love this. And I think we'll wrap up unless there's anything else you'd like to add here. Alan, um, feel free to jump in. I love the uh, quote of one of your friends and colleagues, Marshall Thurber, which is, you know, when everything is you're on top, you don't want to shift anything. Never ask a king to start a revolution. (laughs) That's right. Because if you if you do that, instead of going from good to great, you will go from good to grave. (laughs) Wonderful. We'll see you next time uh, on the People Catalyst podcast when we'll be chatting about uh, a book that is very similar to this one and uh, which we have titled Extra Lunch. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.